BMG Partners and 1494 2AY presents The Journey Podcast. The stories you're about to hear are true. They shine a light on the events and incidents, known and unknown, that have shaped the lives of the Albury-Wodonga region's most intriguing personalities, local legends and unsung heroes. So sit back and enjoy. It's time for another journey, and today it's my pleasure to chat with Sue Gold, Executive Officer of Border Trust. Sue, hello. Good morning. Uh, Now, Sue, we love to start. There's so many things to discuss, uh, but we love to start with a simple one, and that is the connection to Albury-Wodonga. We're both here in this time and place right as we we are, but uh, what brought you here, Sue? Uh, A fairly convoluted journey, but a pretty exciting one from my point of view. Uh, I grew up in Melbourne and um, it was about 20 years ago, my husband and I decided to have our tree change and we left corporate life and secure jobs, as you do, moved to the top of the mountain and lived in Dinner Plain for quite a few years. So we had about eight years up there. We had a mixed business, total change from what we'd been doing. And then progressively decided that we'd we'd had enough experience on mountain and came down, moved to Myrtleford and then from there um, have really sort of decamped to Beechworth. So we now have a few acres in Beechworth, fantastic neighbours have really settled into that community and it is through um, having had a few, quite a few years living there that I've now made my way to Albury as the Executive Officer of Border Trust and that brings me to this gorgeous end of the town so now I get the best of Victoria and New South Wales. Yeah, oh, wonderful and we're going to get uh, into uh, Border Trust a little bit later but um, and first off as well, Beechworth, magnificent. It's God's country in that <laughs> part of the world. It's not a bad it? place to live, oh, yes. Magnificent. Um, all right, but let's go a little bit further back to... Mm. Uh, when you were growing up. So were you growing up in Melbourne? Mm. I grew up in Melbourne. So I grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne um, and uh, had what I call a pretty idyllic childhood. So I was really blessed with a um, an extraordinary family who um, believed in um, both for my generation, um, women being independent and being educated and making decisions in life. So I grew up uh, in a family that was incredibly supportive. I uh, became a nurse, which was very traditional in my for my generation. You pretty much became a nurse or a teacher or got married. Um, so I chose the nursing option because I could travel um, with that career. Ah. So I had that streak in me anyway to um, want to care for others. So I did nursing and I did critical care nursing uh, for 20 years, roughly, almost. Uh, So I had a real diverse health care background in that setting. I was a clinical nurse, I was a unit manager, an educator, I had a university lecturer role, did some research pretty much ran out of things that I wanted to do within um, that sort of clinical health, immediate healthcare sector, and became uh, more project 
orientated in my role. By this stage, I was working in one of the larger private hospitals and they were undergoing a lot of change. Um, They'd reassessed the values, how the organisation was going to work on those. So I became a lot more involved in corporate change. And that then became my next sort of career path was around um, coaching and consulting and project work around organisational change and in particular mentoring um, and using mentoring as a learning strategy for people within organisations to build their skills, their knowledge and their confidence to work within changing environments. And you know, a number of years ago, as is now, the health sector is pretty dynamic. So having to um, know how to operate within a space that's constantly um, different and has uh, demands that change all the time, that became quite important. So I was doing that work just prior to leaving Melbourne. And then with the tree change, that completely stopped. Um, Owned a supermarket cafe postal agency, right. bottle shop. It's never a bad thing to off to own a cafe, supermarket, bottle shop. That was a pretty good um, inbuilt lifestyle. Uh, that was up at Dinner Plain. Again, really small community, great people up there, beautiful environment. Uh, we loved to ski, but you never ski once you buy a business in the snow. No, I can, Im- I can imagine. But I just, I just want to go back to the... the, the the change there is massive. I mean, you're not just talking about the physical change and moving mm. from Melbourne to Dinner Plain, but also, I mean, you, you know, you didn't go from Melbourne to, say, Albury-Wodonga, which still has that little city feel. You went to Dinner Plain. But then total career change as well. Was that a difficult decision to make? Was it Was it off the cuff? Was it Was it really um, fast, the decision? Um, it, it wasn't... It Look, it was... A fast decision, but it was the right, it was absolutely the right thing to do. And I guess one thing that I've always known is when I'm ready for change, I'm really clear about it. I know when I'm not doing my best work. So in terms of my career, I've known when it's been time to change. And that hasn't always been radical change, but it's been building on what I know and doing the next thing. And so when it was around leaving Melbourne, it was absolutely the right decision to do. And um, my husband and I talked about options around taking a year off, taking long service leave, uh, travelling around the world, um, following the snow, because we both like to ski. Um, And so we went through all these various iterations of what we might do. Mm. And we were driving home from Threadboat. We'd been skiing, um, and there's a bit of a recurring theme here you'll catch on to. And I had a magazine, and we were talking about what might we do if we wanted to go and live somewhere longer term. And my husband just said, oh, well, you, you need to own a supermarket because everyone needs to eat. And I was flipping through this magazine, and there was an article about dinner plate. And we both knew it from summer, didn't think about it as a destination mm. And I thought, look, dinner plane's really lovely. And we started talking about it. The next day, I phoned the real estate agents to say, tell me about dinner plane. And the supermarket was for sale. Yeah. Wow. So it's like fate, isn't it? Was, it? <laughs> it was one of those things where we just knew that that was meant to be. It was a bit of a tortuous process 
getting from here's this great opportunity to actually landing the sale. And it was during the 2003 bushfires. So we signed the sale contract and then within a week the um, television crews are at Dinner Plain filming all the rescue services at Dinner Plain trying to put out the bushfire. So every night we got to watch telly to see if the property that we had just bought was still standing. Wow. So that was just a little bit of a delay before we actually got there. Yeah, yeah. And what did you learn from the experience of, of running the store? And how long did you did you run it for? Mm. We uh, ran the store for a few years. I want to say about six or seven years. Then we leased it for a couple of years, then sold it. Um, I had been lecturing in business, business strategy, business planning, financials uh, at a corporate level. None of that applies to small business. (laughs) I think that was number one learning. Yeah. Um, So had a good grounding to go back and relearn everything about running a business. Uh, But that, I think that whole opportunity was, it really reconfirmed that if you have some confidence in yourself and you're willing to learn whatever it is you need to learn, you can do anything. And so um, it was a massive learning curve. We had some really great supporters that really helped us out. Um, We had, uh, and I'll never forget a a customer that was one of our earlier customers when we were first learning how to make coffee and came back a year later laughing his head off because we'd mastered it and we were still there. (laughs) And he he thought that was pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you miss it? no, no, absolutely ready to do something different. But the, um, I think what we really uh, knew that we loved was not living in a big city, that this, this whole region is just stunning. And so to have great neighbours, great communities, such a wonderful environment, food and wine and whiskey and gin mecca and we can still go skiing um it's everything that we want and we would never have got to here had we not taken that big risk and yeah jumped up a mountain do you go to melbourne often and and if if you do when you do um are you like me and you can't wait to get out (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like that. We get to our first set of traffic lights and do groan. Uh, my mum's still in Melbourne. Um, yeah, so Dad died a few years ago, so she has um, relocated. So she lives close to some friends of hers, which is great for her. Uh, but she's also in her late 80s. So uh, my sister and I both live up in the northeast. We, um, so we go down quite a lot, catch up with mum, um, take the opportunity to get her out and about places that she wouldn't otherwise get to um, and spend a bit of time catching up with friends or doing things in Melbourne that yeah, you just don't yeah. get locally. But, yeah, we're pretty happy to not have to stay very long. Yeah, yes. yeah I understand completely. And you met your hubby mm-hmm. in Melbourne as we well. actually met in France. Oh, lovely. Yeah, we we did a... a, a Is he French? No, no, he's Australian. Okay. We actually grew up, we didn't meet, I was in my 30s before we met. We grew up literally two suburbs apart, probably spent our teenage youth 
years doing exactly the same, um, you know, ice skating, sporting trips, um, went to the same movies, went to the same concerts, never met. We went to France um, on a ski trip with <laughs> mutual friends, met at the, you know, waiting at the airport for the plane, thought, mm, he's all right. And within a week, it was like, yeah, this... He's not getting away. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and we've been together ever since. And uh, how did he feel about the tree change? Was he... Oh, he's all for it. Yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're incredibly compatible, complete opposites in some way, but have a, a real shared vision of the life we want to lead and the work we want to do. So when we had the option to leave Melbourne, it was just a question of... We both wanted to do it. What will we do? Not do we really want to or are we both ready? It was easy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So after the, the, the shop, you gravitated then towards um, Beechworth and, mm. and, and Albury-Wodonga. Um, so let's talk about the journey to Border Trust and, and, and let's focus a little on what Border Trust does. Yeah, so um, the I guess the, the journey to... I, I think being ready to be an executive officer of an organisation like Border Trust is, again, it's been many years in the making. So this is the first time I've been employed as opposed to self-employed for probably 20 years. So uh, once we left in a plane or, and in that transition where we knew we were going to, I went back to consulting work. I just did it in the northeast. So I went back into a TAFE role and was delivering uh, diplomas of business and management within the health sector, uh, but locally, so very much workplace learning. I started doing some project work again. And so I was able to evolve much of the work that I had done in Melbourne, deliver it locally. So I got to work in a environment that I loved and got to choose to do the work that I really enjoyed. And that very much became around working with um, for-profit and for-purpose organisations, but many were connected with health or social services sector. And that was everything from mentoring and coaching of executives and boards, uh, good governance practices, strategic planning, um, managing change, you know, organisations thinking about how do we remain relevant and exist. Um, a lot of uh, tender and grant writing. So I had a business colleague, um, we'd worked together and had some great mutual strengths and we were able to form sort of a good team. Um, so we, um, with my husband and I, came off mountain and then created new careers. So my husband had been in corporate life and had been a national program manager. He's now a bookkeeper. So he totally reskilled, retrained. So things like that don't scare us, obviously. And it was the work that I've been doing over the last few years, which really, um, I, I think, really stimulated my interest in the philanthropic sector. And having uh, had a few years working with philanthropic and other not-for-profit groups, um, learnt a lot about the sector and um, the way donors um, are engaged and uh, need to see that uh, their gifts, be that funding or other supports, are actually put to good use. Yes. And um, that there's 
too many stories around uh, people giving money but never quite knowing where it goes or if it ever does good. And I became a member of the board of the Border Trust um, over a year ago now, had known the organisation for years, loved what they were doing, kind of stalked them but in a nice way, was following their journey and was lucky enough to join the board and was really settling into that role when Glennis Atkins, who was the executive officer, decided that she was going to step down from that role. And I was ready to step into the chair role of the board and then the executive officer role became available. Yes. So I had a few moments to think about it and said that that's what I want and knew then and there that the executive officer role had my name on it and I just had to bide my time and hope that the selection committee for the executive officer role also thought the job had my name on it. So it took about three months. It was quite a, um, a rigorous process but fortunately I was selected and Glennis even better has stayed on and is now in a community engagement and impact role so the history and and everything that's known um, is still within the organization and everything that she has learnt we're now able to build on so it's really exciting yeah I've loved it a lot of people I'm sure would have heard of the border trust but may not know exactly how it works. So in simplistic terms, how how does it work and how do you facilitate money going to good causes? So Border Trust is a community foundation. We're a philanthropic organisation and we have a particular model that we work under and there, there are 40 community foundations in Australia and the intention is that we are local, we cover um, literally the border, Victoria and New South Wales. We work to um, pull together funding or other supports from donors, put that, uh, in, invest it, build um, interest and earnings to the best of our ability. And then that er those earnings or the funds directly are then uh, directed as grants to not-for-profit community organisations who then deliver their projects or programs with those funds. And so we have a great relationship with a lot of organisations in community. We know what they're doing. We know the difference they make. We know they're credible. We then uh, connect our donors who might have a, a particular interest and we go, great, if that's your interest and they're your values, here's the community group doing that sort of work and here's a project that they need funding for. We can connect you as a donor to that project and ensure the rigour around that funding, um, it's report, so it's tax deductible. 
So that matters. There's a lot of legislation around how to receive tax-deductible donations, the reporting and acquittal of that. And then we have um, a lot of rigour around the gifting of those funds as grants into the community. And we work with then the community organisations. We follow the journey of their project. So we see what they're doing. We have photos, we have videos, we go out and and talk with them. we have, a, you know, reporting and acquittal, again, back to our donors, back to our registration bodies, so that there's lots of checks and balances in place. And because we're local, if people are interested in donating funds that stay local, we ensure that that occurs. We have a very... Uh, a, minimal fee structure for our donations and we have a completely separate donation um, stream where people enable to gift funds to Border Trust to enable Border Trust to exist. Yes. And we separate out those things so we're very, very clear if you donate to Border Trust to allow Border Trust to operate we can tell you everything that we do with those funds and you can see it in action. And if you're donating to contribute to community, we can report on that as well. And donors get to meet the recipients. And it, it's um, it, it's just extraordinary when you bring everyone together, mm. just how rich that experience is. Yes, and, and I've seen that firsthand because, of course, we have a partnership, Ace Radio 2AY, um, Hanbury Foundation uh, grants, and I've been out to a number of them, um, like Albury Wodonga Food Share, for example, uh, and, it, and it is wonderful to see how um, complete the, the the process is. You, you know, I mean, it's 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 a beautifully constructed and thought out operation. I think because it ticks like you just described there. It ticks every box in terms of what you want when you are a donor, because yes. you want to make sure that the money is going to be used in the right way and be given to the right organisation. And obviously, we're hyper local, and and partnering with Border Trust means that we ensure that the money stays local, which is just terrific. Yeah. Uh, Look, I think it's wonderful. And, I mean, we have a very generous community. And I think um, one of the things that we allow is that kind of individuals and mums and dads and small work groups can give small amounts of money. So at the moment we have our Give 500 campaign where people as an individual or a group can donate $500 which for some people is very doable, for the recipients, that's extraordinary. And so by individuals or groups giving $500, we can pull that money together and then the donors come together again in November to pitch night to hear a short list of potential applicants and vote on who gets um, the larger sum, the larger grant to do their project. The runners-up get a smaller amount, but you can guarantee in the room there are organisations there looking to hear the projects and every year someone gets tapped on the shoulder and they're either given some additional funds or they're given some mentoring, or they're given some other support that helps their project get off the ground. And that's fabulous. And that's the community doing it for themselves. I can tell that you're you're so proud of the work that Border Trust does and and obviously the work that you do there. I love it. I do love it. I work with a great team of staff, great board. 
you go to work and your job is to do good. Um, and my sort of life motto is have fun and do good. And to have a job where that is actually the job, no one's ever disappointed to see mm. us coming. You know, that's that's a pretty nice work environment. Um, but, yeah, when, when you get to see the work that people in community are trying to do to help others in community and you can join the dots between donors and those organisations and then the work that um, they deliver to help others, it's a pretty nice day at the office. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I can imagine. Now, you mentioned fun there. I want to mm-hmm. change tack a little bit and uh, learn a little bit more about you personally. So you have mentioned skiing a number of times <laughs> just in our 20-odd uh, minutes that we've been talking so far. So I would imagine you like to spend your spare time doing a little skiing. I do enjoy skiing. I love uh, being outdoors. So that's been somewhat neglected. Um, I've been studying over the last sort of eight months or so. And that was through, I, I was really fortunate to receive scholarship. So I've been able to study governance and um, complete a company director's course. That was thrilling. And that was through the scholarship that made that doable because that's quite a lot of money. Um, so that's been a distractor, but I do love just being out in our natural environment. So whether it's walking around our rivers, our open gardens. I, I love gardening. Um, totally neglect my own, but I love going to see what other people achieve. So that's always a good thing. Um, I have a, a couple of dogs, so being able to uh, wrangle them and go out and, you know, we can do the walks just around our mm. property and be out for half an hour or an hour and still have got out and heard the birds and smelt the air and it's lovely. Yeah. If you had your time again, would you do any of it differently? No, Um, which is not to say everything was sort of fun and games, Um, but I'm, I'm a firm believer that everything I've done, including the mistakes I've made, helped me learn and that got me to where I am now and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. So, no, I wouldn't do things differently but occasionally I wish I do wish I was a bit wiser at certain times but that doesn't, doesn't work that yeah. way <laughs> no, exactly exactly who do you most admire I mean you, you've worked in a number of different very different areas and I, I would mm. imagine you draw inspiration from a number of people but who do you most admire um uh, well, in a simplistic way, my husband, because he puts up with me. Um, so I've always got sort of lots of ideas and things I'd like to do. And he's very calming and very supportive, um, which is brilliant. And I think that's a particular characteristic I admire in anybody. Um, I I tend to admire pers- people who have principles that they stick by and people who are about supporting others. And there's two people that come to mind. One is Al Gore, who, when he was first in American politics and was in the White House, started talking about climate change and was ridiculed. You know, there was a lot of negative press about this kind of weird bloke with these strange ideas. But he knew it was true and he stuck with it. And here we are now going, oh, yeah, we did have voices. So... 
people like him that go, there is a truth here and we just have to keep telling this truth and building that understanding and not not being not blaming people for not being ready to hear it, but constantly having um, an opportunity for people to engage to then create the groundswell. And I think a lot of our really important change in the world occurs by people with that sort of belief and they are eventually heard and then it's forgotten because the rest of us know that and we mm. forget some of the voices that told us. Um, another person I really admire is Cathy McGowan. And I've known Cathy many, many years. You know, I've seen her in her pre-Parliament times. Even then, and then particularly when um, she went into Parliament and now, Cathy's always believed that you... You work with others to help them succeed. You know, it's not about self. It's not about my ego. It's that how do I help you so you can do what you want to do? And it's something I've believed in in my career um, is that the the better I am at my job, the more I can help others do theirs and achieve what they want. And I think Cathy is somebody that's been an extraordinary role model around helping others find their power and their voice and be in control of the future that they want and that as a model for our community I think is extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, listening to you over the last half hour, it's it's pretty clear that you that you like a, a challenge and, and you like doing new things as well. I mean, nobody goes from, from Melbourne to Dinner Plain and then buys a shop without being able to embrace change. So looking ahead to, say, the next five or, or ten years, do you think mm. you'll be in the same position mm. in five years at, at Border Trust or will you seek a new challenge, do you think? Yeah. Um, I would certainly hope and I expect to be at Border Trust for at least another five years. And I think um, that's because I think the role is going to evolve. We are, we're an organisation that's got a really great foundation. We are... We've been in operation 18 years and you don't, you don't do that by not doing some things well um, and being supported by your community. But we also see a much, much greater need for a community foundation like ours to be able to help um, really direct funds and support into community because that's not going to just keep rolling through from government. Um, and there is an opportunity for us to receive funds from government and deliver it locally so that we can ensure it gets to the right organisations and the right people efficiently. So I think we've got a really important role between community helping themselves and building capacity in the community, but also being able to leverage what government does want to spend locally and making sure that that is done well. And so I see Board of Trust being in a in a place of transition. I think we are changing. We want to grow in the sense that we want to be able to um, be able to have. Um, greater funds under investment, have greater funds that we can get into community and can support community groups um, with their work and help build their capacity as well. So I think there's a lot to do and five years is 
a reasonable time frame to to make some big changes mm. and so i i can see a lot a lot of interest for me because i think the role will evolve and i think um over time we're going to see the community's need of border trust change as well and we have to stay responsive to that yeah it's a fascinating area all right well we're we're almost um at the end of the the journey but not before a few questions to finish us off. So let's uh, get to the wrap-up. If you were able to invite three people to your dinner party, alive or dead, famous or not, who would you uh, have at your uh, dinner party, Sue? Um, for one, I love going to dinner parties. Um, I'm not a big, <laughs> a big one at hosting them myself. Uh, but if I, had, if I had the choice, I would actually bring together family and friends and... In many ways, that's because in my my work life and things, I get to meet great people. And so the thing that probably I don't spend enough time on is actually sitting down for a length of, length of time with family and friends and particularly post-COVID, actually reconnecting in person. And, I, you know, I have friends that are scattered far and wide and it would be lovely to bring everyone into the one place face to face and if I could host a dinner party I'd make it a weekend and I would bring people together who I who I felt would enjoy each other's company would have some space to do the things that excited them and get up and down from a dinner table across that weekend yeah yeah well that's a nice answer and as you mentioned uh COVID there were you um were you here during during COVID, as in in in, in Albury, Bindadonga um, and Beechworth, living in Beechworth, yeah. yeah. So, quite fortunate. I'm actually quite good at being a bit of a hermit, um, and so Perfect. it was. Um, I think we were in many ways quite blessed. We live on acreage. Um, both my husband and I have offices that are literally rooms in our garden, so client Idyllic. work needed mm. to go online. But yes, um, I got to work. My work wasn't interrupted. It changed, but I still had it. I got to look out the window at my garden. I could go out and stretch my legs. So in many ways, COVID for me was just hermit time, but I didn't disconnect from people. Yes, yes. So quite privileged, I think. Yeah, I mean, it just impacted everybody in such a different way, didn't it? Yes. Uh, sweet or savoury, Sue? <laughs> there, there are no choices. There's both. Um, and you start with savoury, unless you think you might be a bit full, then you have dessert first. And then you have the savoury if there's still room. <laughs> I like that strategy. Um, and finally, do you have any good recommendations for us? So this is open to you. It could be something you're reading. It could be something you're watching on, on telly or, or or on YouTube or whatever. What suggestions for yeah, us? Yeah. Um, I I have a few um, books that have been with me for, well, 20, 30 years or more. And there's one I recently picked up, which is a book called Illusions uh, by Richard Bach. And Richard Bach wrote Jonathan Livingston Seagull. So for those from many generations ago, it feels like, but, um, uh, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, I think, Richard Bach wrote that book, became really quite popular. He wrote another book, Illusions. It's a short story, effectively. I love it. And there's a quote that he made within that, um, argue for your limitations and they're yours. And I live by that quote. So if anyone hasn't read Illusions, I suggest getting a copy. Um, It's 
fab- it's a joyful book. It's Wonderful. Lovely. Well, Sue Gold, Executive Officer of Border Trustees, has been an absolute pleasure and privilege to talk about your journey. Thank you so much for uh, joining me. And uh, I look forward to seeing you again when we get to go out and uh, as part of the Hanbury Foundation uh, grants, uh, give some money to, uh, to another fantastic recipient. Thank you so much for the chat. <laughs>